Welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. Here you'll learn about how to grow your home building, remodeling, or contracting business. If you're not growing, you're moving backward. So we want you to always be in growth mode. This podcast has really turned into a movement and community of people who want to grow personally and professionally. Here we bring you some of the best marketing, sales, and business minds in the industry so you can elevate your business. All right, let's dive into the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Builder Funnel Radio. This is episode 81. And in this episode, I bring on Mike Claudio to have a conversation about sales. Now, Mike runs a consulting business, WinRate Consulting, and he and I connected a little ways back and got to talking and he brings some really fresh ideas and some great strategies, things that we haven't heard here uh, in the past from other guests that have talked about the sales topic. So I think you'll really enjoy this episode. Again, this is episode 81 with Mike Claudio. Hey, Mike, glad to have you on the show today. Appreciate it, man. Excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited too because we're going to dive into sales, which is always an exciting topic. And uh, as they say, you know, nothing happens until something gets sold. So, um, but yeah, before we get too deep in the weeds, maybe for our audience, they may or may not know of you yet. You know, how did you get into the construction world? And then now that you're um, helping people on the sales front, like why did you decide to, to stay in the industry? Yeah. So uh, I guess very long story short, I was my career started in corporate America and I kind of did all types of sales environments from retail to retail management and B2B world. A really good friend of mine was a remodeler in the Charlotte market where I live and was struggling to kind of scale his business. He had relocated from DC and was like, just didn't know what to do next. And I was like, I have sales. I know how to go find people, but I don't know anything about the industry outside of <laughs> When I was in the B2B world, I supported the construction uh, vertical. So I sold two construction companies. So I understood a little bit about the business and how it's run and that sort of thing. But as far as like selling remodels, as everybody knows, I mean, there's a thousand different variables. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this, but I believe I can. And he was struggling enough and I was done with corporate America. So I transitioned um, like 2013, I transitioned to his business. And uh, that's kind of where it started. So he was a small scale remodeler, addition guy. When I joined him, he was doing a couple hundred K a year in business. And then when I left, he was doing a couple million and did the same thing for another business, helped them scale at a similar rate. And in that process, people were just like, Mike, how, what should I do? Like they were kind of seeing the success and asking a lot of questions. And I was like really enjoying the coaching leadership side of it. And, you know, I, I had been in sales and sales leadership for almost 15 years. It had just kind of like, I was like, this seems like a good transition for me. Like I enjoy the coaching. I enjoy helping businesses. And I really fell in love with the industry and the stories and the people. And that's kind of why I stayed because when I made the last transition to, I was vice president of a roofing company. I had some opportunities to go back to corporate America where I spent the majority of my life. But like, I love the story, the family, the people in this industry. And there's a lot of phenomenal operators who just don't know how to go out and business develop and sales and close deals and follow up and market themselves. And it's like, I have every bit of that that I can teach people because I don't like seeing really good people, like good people and then people who are good at their jobs fail because they just don't know how to go out and find clients. And so that's kind of why I fell in love with and then stayed within this industry. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And you do see that in this industry is just a lot of people that are so good at the craft and, you know, that's, you know, and then they get, they start getting some referrals and then that's how the business grows. And then suddenly they're in management and sales and leadership and they're going, "Uh Oh, you know, and that's new territory. So uh, I guess diving into the sales world, just what are you seeing in terms of common mistakes that people are making, you know, when they're transitioning into that, having to, put their sales hat on a lot more often, you know, than maybe they're comfortable doing. At a high level, I mean, obviously there's a lot of tactical things within the process that I see consistent, but I would say the biggest thing is just a lack of a consistent experience. You know, and the reason that's so important is having a consistent client, a a consistent sales process is when one neighbor refers you to the other neighbor, they have a certain expectation that's being set because you might've been slow, right? So you got to give that first client all your attention And then, well, you got referred six months later when you're not slow anymore. Now the new person doesn't get the same attention or the same process. And the the experience expectations are set, right? Because the neighbor is like, you got to call Mike, man. He's got it. He's got it figured out. He did this, 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 and this. And the neighbor's like, that's who we want. And then you don't deliver on that. Well, not only do you potentially lose that opportunity with a new person, well, that person who loved you isn't going to be comfortable referring you anymore because they don't know which version of you they're referring out. And I think at a high level, like a big picture is you want to have a consistent experience on how you manage somebody through the process or what the steps in the process look like, because it cannot be an emotional thing. Like I see a lot of contractors make estimating decisions and marketing decisions and sales decisions on how they feel that day. Yeah. And that might get you to a million dollars in revenue, but it's not going to keep you there. And it's obviously not going to get you further than that. So it's got to be structured and accountability focused and expectation, especially as you're hiring potentially a sales staff, they're not going to know what's up here, what's between your ears. Right. And a lot of people always say like, well, I know what to do there. Yeah. But did they know how you want them to do there? Right. They're like, no, it's up here. Right. Well, that the, the between the ears coach and a business owner is one of the biggest hurdles I see because they don't have a documented process on why their decision tree or how they make decisions is made. And, you got to get a consistent process built out because if you don't, it's going to be very difficult for your referral partners and previous clients to really just have faith and have trust in referring you out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's key. And it's interesting too, because as you document the process, you start and you have to teach it, you actually get better yourself too, because you have to think through all those steps and you start well, you going, see the well, gaps why, why was I doing that? Or yeah, you see some gaps. Or why did I stop doing that? That's a really big one. Sure. You know, I would say 80% of what I teach isn't something that my clients haven't heard before, but either they didn't appreciate the importance of it or didn't realize they had stopped doing it. And then that's where you really get the gaps, right? Is like, I did that, or I used to do that. And they look at like, like their sales guy or some of the room, like I'll be in these meetings and they're like, why did we stop doing that? I don't know. Great. Well, let's get that going again, right? Yeah, like, fire that back up again. Yeah. Because those <laughs> yeah. little things, man, it, it's, there, there isn't one major, major thing that I think makes a massive tick up. I think it's little things done well consistently that really is a differentiating factor, specifically in the selling to homeowner world, because man, that's a tough, that's just a whole different beast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's maybe dive into a couple of the little things. Uh, Let's just use an example. Let's say you made it into the home. You've got that like first appointment. Are there a couple of things in that, that conversation that you found really elevate your chances of, you know, eventually closing the deal or depending on the size of the project, closing the deal right then and there. 
Yeah. So I guess I want to be fair to your audience. Like I've never been a one call close guy, even when I was at the roofing company, sure. I've been more on the consultative, Hey, I'm gonna put my best foot forward. You're going to make your decision, your time frame. So I don't, I want to be fair to the audience. Like I've never been a big one call close guy, but some best practices there are for sure. So the first thing when you walk into the house is really kicking off the meeting, both in a positive and authoritative way. And everybody is a little different on that. Some people are very, you know, I don't want to say insecure, but very introverted and they're not good at speaking with people. But a really easy way to start the meeting is to ask a question, give a compliment, and then set an agenda for that meeting. And I think we've all been there where you walk in and you're just like, okay, let's let's see what you got going on here. And then yeah, that client spends 45 minutes talking about something completely unrelated. And you're sitting there just waiting for them to get to the point. Well, what that does is, is it makes the client feel like they have to control the conversation. And guess what happens? They're never going to let go, especially and then when they're going to hire you and they're going to try and control every decision and control when and when you are there, when you're not there, when they feel like paying, when they don't feel like paying. And is that an exaggerated example? But it's real. And sure. so I think when you start off that specifically that first meeting, they're meeting you in person for the first time, something simple like, man, this weather is great, isn't it? And it has a really great picture of your family. When was that taken? And like getting them to talk about themselves for a few minutes and then like letting them know that like there's a hard stop to the meeting you don't have all day and how you're going to walk them through that meeting. And I'm not saying spend 30 minutes describing your process, but something simple on lines of like, hey, I do have a hard stop in 45 minutes so I can get to my next meeting. What today's going to look like is I'm going to walk you around the space. I'm going to understand your priorities. I'm going to take some measurements and some pictures and then we'll reconvene at the end and discuss next steps and, and decision timelines. Great. Do you have any questions with that? Big, big thing here is always getting their permission on what the agenda you announced is. We're going to talk, I, I talk about permission based selling a lot in the process, but that's a really strong way to start the meeting because it redirects their mindset to there is a hard stop to the meeting. So it gets them into their mode of, of, okay, he's here for a reason. And then gives them an opportunity to understand your process before you get into it and express any concerns or changes they want to see. And then allows you to really hold them accountable to that agenda because we've all been there where that client will spend 30 minutes talking about that last contract or that last project or their kid's teacher. And you're like, this does not bring any value to my process and accomplishing the goal here. You do want to create some person ability and rapport. And you can do that with giving a compliment and asking a question, but then you got to like redirect them back to there's a purpose that you're there. I think it's a really great way to start a meeting. Yeah, I think that's good advice. And I mean, most people, you know, they just, they don't know the process. So just that simple agenda, like you said, can just add so much like comfort to them too. just go, Oh, okay, great. This is how it works. We're going to do these three things in this meeting. I know what the time frame is. Okay, now I feel better about this whole situation. And, and it just elevates your credibility. I, I think those are really good tactical things. Um, because they're you scared, said, right? Yeah, typically, I mean, there's a there's a certain you know, historic and current image that they should be scared, which I don't always agree with, but it doesn't change the fact that that's reality. But then the other side is, is they might have the wrong expectations. And they're going to be likely they do. do <laughs> I mean, they're be waiting for you to do that thing they're expecting you to do. And you had no intention of doing anything that they were expecting, but you wouldn't know that without setting that agenda at the beginning. Cause they say, well, aren't you going to want to do this? Or aren't you going to look at that? And then you can either redirect their expectations and again, this puts you in an authoritative role of, I hired a professional. He's here for a reason. I need to listen to him because that you can hold on to that for the whole transaction. 
man, you're just, you are running a much more efficient, well-oiled machine of a business than being incredibly reactive to your environment, which I know, I know you seem with your clients. I know I've seen with mine and with the businesses I've worked for. And I just, it, it so much better from a experience perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And you mentioned that you're not really a, a one call close or one meeting close kind of guy. And I would say probably most of our audience is not either, you know, a lot of them are design builds. So there's, you know, multiple layers to the sales process. And for sure, and clients uh, want the permission to make the decisions in their timeline on their, for sure, on, you know, with their own little nuances to their process and timelines and all other stuff. Yeah. So that, that leads us into, you know, follow up and, I guess I'm curious, you know, I don't know if you have data on this or just intuition, but, you know, how many opportunities do you think are lost from just a lack of follow-up? Um, and I see you posting a lot on Instagram about kind of like follow-up Friday. And yeah. I think it's awesome because you tend to do this one meeting and you're like, great, they'll just get back to me whenever they're ready. And it's like, yeah, no, probably not. <laughs> so I look back at one point, cause this question came up a lot and kind of before I got into the actual coaching consulting world and I equated 42% of my sales over a two year period directly to follow up. Would I have closed them anyway? I don't know. Sure. But I know for a fact, every one of those happened post a follow up. And we're talking about in that course of two years, I had $4.5 million in sales. So you're talking about $2 million in closed business that I equated directly to follow-up processes. So would I have closed some of those? Likely. Would I have closed all of them? Absolutely not. So I don't have a, a strict number to that, but I do know for a fact that 85% of sales happen within the fifth to seventh touch. So yeah, like that is massive. an industry, that's not me, that is an industry standard and almost all of my sales practices and teachings and curriculum around a multi-touch approach and follow-up is one or two of those touches and it's going to take five to seven. So the follow-up's the easy one. The other ones are harder, right? Getting in front of them on social media, finding that referral partner, getting through the gatekeeper. Those are the tough ones. The easy ones, once you've already met with them, you have those follow-up opportunities and you know, Follow Friday is a big thing. I made it a big thing for my Instagram from pretty much the day I started it because, and it's funny though, because all people follow me like, hey, Mike, it's Friday. You reminded me to follow up. So here's your follow up. <laughs> I'm like, shit, I wasn't ready to make that decision yet. Like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but the follow up is, I think, probably one of the largest things I've seen within the industry that doesn't happen consistently. So we talked about earlier, like one of the biggest things, I think follow up, mostly because the guys don't have the time. Yeah, and you do right. It's a lot of those. I sent them a proposal. They're going to hire me if they want. No, that's not that's not how people operate. That's not how it works because people get distracted. Mm -hmm. People get lost. People lose information. Like I can't tell you how many times I follow up and they're like, "Thank God you called. I couldn't find your card anywhere." Yeah, right? which is wild, like, right? But I mean, it happens. It's so. But it common. happens. Yeah, it happened enough for me to care enough to follow up every week with every open opportunity. Yeah, and I and and the big part of that is is. You know, the common misconception is, well, I don't want to bug them. I don't want to be overbearing. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be pushy. The easiest way to avoid that, and I posted a video about it this week, is simply ask for permission before ending the meeting. I have this rule with every employee I've had, every business owner I've had, every, every person I've coached, I have this rule. You are not allowed to end any conversation in business 
without a defined next step and date. So defined next step and deadline, we'll call it. Because every conversation has some sort of follow-up to it. Whether it's a, hey, I'll call you in six months. Like every conversation, sales is so much about timing. Sales is so much about the immediate need. Specifically in this industry, if you're in the smaller you know, restoration handyman world, it's extremely, who do I remember when I have the problem? Mm-hmm. You know, a little less on the design build because it's larger decision process, but in that reactive world, it's who do, who do I remember? And so I have a strict rule. You are not allowed to end a conversation without a defined next step and deadline. And what that looks like in the tactical world in the meeting is you end that meeting with, hey, I'm going to take this next step. And if I don't hear back from you, I'm going to call you or email you on this day. Does that work for you? That's the key. Does that work for you? And now that they've given you permission, this gives this is two things. It avoids the anxiety of do they want to hear from me because they've already told you they do and allows you to differentiate yourself by accomplishing the task in the identified time. Look, as we all see in this industry, like you are winning right now as a contractor if you're answering the phone. <laughs> yeah, the bar so, is low for sure. <laughs> the bar is low, but then... Okay, so do you want to beat the worst or do you want to beat the best in the market? Well, the best in the market's also answering the phone, but they might be going out and their salesperson may not be sending back the proposal on time. Well, if you set those expectations and those next steps with the deadline, not only are you helping guide the client through your sales process, which does need to have some sort of structure to it, but then you're also wowing them with how attentive to detail and how on time you are. And they, they begin to grow trust with you which allows you to manage their expectations in the process of the actual production of the project differently. Because if they had a follow-up with you about, Hey, when am I going to get that proposal? Well, what happens when like the painter doesn't show up that day or the countertops are delayed? They're not going to believe you. They're going to think that you just don't, you're not a good steward of your time and you're not organized. But when you show that organization and you show that you're appreciative of their time by asking for their permission to do so. And if they say no, well, okay, well, when would you like me to follow up? Hey, Monday would be better. Don't call me Friday. I got beanings all day. Call me Monday. Now they're saying like, man, Mike appreciates me. Mike sees me for, for what I'm going through. And he actually delivered on what he said he was going to do. It's a simple phone call. I'm not sending them a gold nugget, right? But they feel taken care of differently, strictly by you setting the next step with a deadline. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's a huge best practice that's so easy to implement and literally, it's something that no one can get upset with you about. Like, there's so many things about business development and sales where sometimes you have to be a little strong-fisted. Sometimes you have to be a little pushy. This is one of those things where you just be an awesome person and just be a good steward of your business and say, hey, I'm going to follow up with you next Friday. Does that work for you? And if they say yes, you have no problem following up. They should be expecting it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And it just reminded me too, as you were talking, just the consistency and you said, you know, you start to build this trust. And I think part of it is because you outline, Hey, this is what I said I was going to do. You agreed to it. And then I actually did it on the timeline that we both agreed to, but we were at a keynote in Boston at the inbound conference. I, f- I forget this, the keynote speaker, but I think there's some science behind it. They're talking about how you earn trust and consistency was one of those top things. And so even if you're just following up consistently, people can see like, wow, this person's really on the ball. They're really on top of things. And especially like you said, nobody else is doing it. And so you're always top of mind. Builder Funnel Academy is a high powered digital marketing training for remodelers. 
Now, ever since helping grow my family's remodeling division of their building business from about 2 million to over 5 million coming out of the Great Recession, we've been helping builders, remodelers, and contractors build sustainable, repeatable marketing systems. We know marketing isn't always at the top of your list, but it's what drives your business forward. Marketing, it leads to sales. Sales leads to production, which leads to happy customers, which leads to referrals. So without marketing, nothing gets sold. Right now, the doors are closed to Builder Funnel Academy, but I encourage you to get on the wait list by heading over to builderfunnelacademy.com slash VIP. Let's dive in just a little bit deeper. So you you make that agreement, you follow up the one time and maybe no response or they're like, oh, not, you know, not ready to take the next step or not ready to make the decision. How do you follow up on a consistent basis without it just being, hey, I'm just checking in and, and kind of just that vague blah follow up? How do you follow up with value, with a purpose, but also not being pushy? So in that first follow-up, so you've sent the proposal, right? And you have that additional follow-up scheduled and you call them and we're not ready to make a decision yet. I always ask, well, what will it take for you to be comfortable hiring me? And they're going to give you one of probably two or three answers, right? More time, more information, less money. I have these other quotes coming in, whatever, right? So now you're understanding where they're at in their decision process. And then I would just say at that point, when would you like me to follow up with you again? And then you now you know exactly what they're feeling that they need and when they want you to follow up. So the follow be, hey, were you able to get those other quotes that you said you were going to get? Oh, man, that's a shame they didn't deliver on that. I'm here delivering again on what I said I was going to do. You don't say it that way, but that's sure. Yeah. Goes. No, no, that's great. So if, they, if they're not giving you a decision like, hey, thank you for following up. We have we're not through with our decision making process yet. Great. What else needs to happen for you to be comfortable hiring me? And you can even say something along the lines of, and the first meeting, if I'm able to deliver on this, are you prepared to hire me? Because if I can deliver on the timeline, within the time frame, within the budget, what's stopping you from hiring me? And it might be a relationship. Hey, my wife's boss's brother's got a business and we really... It would be tough for us not hire them, but we're, we're getting some competitive bids. That gives you some, a lot of information too, right? How much time should you put into that estimate? Are you, if you're yeah. just kicking tires trying to get a secondary bid, I can give you that right now. Like, I can give you a range right now to accomplish that for you. I don't spend five hours on that estimate. But so you're on that first follow-up, right? So you ask the question, well, what needs to happen between now and your decision for you to feel comfortable hiring me? Now you understand. You can set the next date, and then you're following up on, did that action item happen? And if so, where are you in the process? Yeah, yeah. But if they don't, great. if they don't answer, right, they ghost you. This happens a lot. I I am an incredibly firm believer that if you follow the process, I mean, obviously I, I teach a very specific curriculum. So I say, if you follow my process, could cater to your industry. But if you follow a process and you've delivered what you said you would on time, you've earned the right for an answer. And and depending on the feel you got from them, the personality type, how well you know them, you can push that differently at that point. But I, I, I would follow up every week until I got an answer. And by on the sixth week, it's always, I've always done this. It's six follow-ups. I don't know why I came up with that number, but that's the number I use. But the sixth week is always, hey, I'm, I don't care if you went another direction or you're not moving forward with the project. I'm going to keep following up until I get an answer 
So if you're not interested, let me know so I can take you off my follow-up list. And this has worked to say, Mike, I'm so sorry. This is their this, my dad, this, my mom, this. We're still interested. Just give us a little more time. Because they don't want to lose you, right? Because mm-hmm. here's another, like, I don't know, theory that I have. And I, I, I think it's true, but I don't have any stats around. But I believe there are significantly more good clients than good contractors to support them. So a client like that who sees the value in you and something happens in their life that pulls them away from the decision process of the project you're working on, they don't want to lose you as a contractor either because they've heard the horror stories or the good things about you and why they need to hire you. So I think if you look, if you shit the bed and show up late and don't do the proposal on time, I'm not surprised you're getting ghosted. Like, but if you've done you showed up to the meeting on time, you're professional, you built rapport, you asked good questions, you managed their expectations, you set proper next steps and you delivered, you've earned the right for an answer, yes or no. And I think I will drag that shit out forever. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I, it's interesting you use that on the, the sixth email. I don't, I don't have a specific number, but I, I use a similar email just in the breakup email. Yeah. I, uh, well, cause it's if you're going anywhere, we just spin in our wheels. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And mine is, is similar, but it just goes along the lines of, you know, Hey, you know, haven't heard from you in a while. So that makes me think one of a few things, you know, one, either you've just been busy two, you just don't like me or three, you've fallen and you can't get up and I should call for help. And, you know, it's kind of <laughs> cheesy, but, but to your point, like that gets a response where like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like I have just been busy and it gives them like, you almost give them the excuse and then they can accept it. And that just feels better. Well, for and them, and so. here, here's where I'm at too, is that until they give me a decision, it doesn't hurt me to keep following up. Totally. Yeah. Like it, it can't get worse than being ghosted. Like they're not right. going to report you to the police and say, I'm, I'm following a restraining order on this salesperson for following up too much. Yeah. Like don't go knocking on their door in the middle of the night, but like, you know, a follow up phone call, text message or email. Why not? You know, my opinion, like not only do I feel like I deserve it, I have nothing to lose because until you have a no, you have a yes, in my opinion. Yeah. And there's no reason it. to not continue to differentiate yourself throughout that process. I, I will say, though, I like the email that you just outlined. I have gotten in trouble by making assumptions like that. Sure. Because if it is something serious, like you're going to rub them the wrong way. So I don't hate your email. Yeah. My no, feedback no, it's okay. Be, you know, yeah. I, uh, my feedback would be, is I don't like making too many assumptions like that. Because like, if you email me like, hey, Mike, I guess you've been busy. Like my dog just died. Like this motherfucker is not seeing me. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, you're not seeing me, right? You're not understanding my pains or my problems or my issues. And now I'm kind of turned off by you. So I try to not make assumptions about what's going on. I'm just going to tell them what I have control over. And you're going to keep hearing from me until I get an answer. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, that's totally just, fair. Yeah. I, well, maybe I I've, been, I've, I've been fortunate. I haven't gotten one of those <laughs> back yet. So I, that's, I, that's I learned that point. one the hard way. I, yeah. Everything that, I, that I've implemented as a best practice or a curriculum point is uh, something I learned that either made my job easier for me, better, better closing rates, or avoided confrontation and objection. Yeah, and yeah the best stuff kind of usually comes out of mistakes, right? You know, <laughs> I learned them all the hard way too, like doing it the wrong way. Yeah, no, it's all good. No, that I think it's great. And and last question, we've been hitting follow up a lot, but I think it is an important topic. I guess, do you? You said you'll just do that forever. Do do you hit a point where? You're like, man, I've got so many people in my follow-up hopper that some people start to fall off after a certain time frame, or so is it just dependent? 
I based it on a few kind of intangibles, like how much did I like the person? How likely of a project is it? You know, how yeah. good of a project was it? Right. Cause totally. like, you know, I'm really big on identifying an ideal client and project. Well, if that person checked all the boxes, that's way, that's way better work usage of my time. If, if it was like, man, I didn't get a good feel from them. They weren't really cooperative. They weren't transparent. They were difficult and rude. Like, okay, they're going to fall off a little bit sooner. Yeah. So it really comes down to, I guess the health of my pipeline, right? I mean, that's a big part of this. You know, if you have a healthy pipeline, you know, maybe you only fall up with the top 30% of projects that are really ideal. If you don't, you have no choice but to follow up with all of them. So I think, you know, pipeline health is one of them. I think client type and project are another one, just how well does it fit who you are and what your business is looking for? And then how did I get the referral, right? Because I think I track my referral sources. I think it's really important to do that because you're going to find that one real estate agent is always sending you crap. And this one's always sending you gold. Well, who sent me that referral? And I might follow up. Okay, I hit week six, right? I'll follow up with the referral partner if it's a good referral partner and say, hey, I kind of stopped hearing back from so-and-so. Do you have anything about that? Oh, man, I don't know. Let me follow up with them. And then, like, they're going to get you some information as well. So I think it's another important part. If it's an Angie's List lead, like, we all know those are not going to be ideal. But if it's from a key, if it's a, from a key relationship in your network or in your referral, like, you don't want to let them down. So you can kind of utilize them to get involved with the process as well. So yeah. some intangibles there. But, I mean, I would say probably – eight to 10 weeks before like I kind of just like exhaust all options. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at it from like a strategic tangible perspective, but a lot, I, I literally, I always ask, when would you like me to follow up? So sometimes, mm-hmm. but Hey, give us three months. Great. It's going in my calendar for three months. You're getting a call on that day. Totally. So sometimes like the follow-ups get spread out depending on also pipeline health, referral type, referral partner relationship. So it's not always every week. It's typically six or eight attempts depending on when they told me they'd like to hear back from. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good advice. And I mean, going running through that criteria, you can kind of figure out pretty quickly which ones can fall off and which ones yeah, you might I mean, put a little more effort into. There's plenty, plenty of projects you walk in and the minute you get in there, you're like, this ain't for me. Yeah. Like, yeah uh, you don't even yeah. want to follow up the rest of that meeting unless a week later. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, there's a lot of, I guess, intangible criteria that goes into that and you're trying to keep it broad for the audience. It really just comes down to a few intangibles yeah yeah so uh mike i've got a few more questions for you but is there is there something else that you feel like uh that you see often whether that be in the the first meeting the follow-up or maybe even the pre-qualification before they get there that you feel like you want to share about like man i'm always seeing this and this is something that we got to correct probably the number one thing i help the business i work with on is creating a meaningful message and being able to articulate who they are and what they do and what they're looking for very succinctly in a way that drives the right type of traffic. And if you have a really good message, right, that can bleed into, and this is on the pre-qualification side, it bleeds into your marketing, it bleeds into the stories you're telling on social media, it bleeds into the type of content you're delivering, the educational, the engagement. Because like the worst thing you can say is I'm a flooring company and everybody with floors is a good referral for me. Like that is not a good message. And I, I'm, I guarantee somebody listening and I was doing that and it's okay, but it's not great. And, and what it does is having a very meaningful message about who you are and what you do and what you're looking for. And a blend of that, it allows your market, your network and your referral partners to truly understand what a good referral for you is or what a good client for you is. And that does two things. It allows somebody to see themselves as a character in your story, which is really, really good. 
but it also allows people to realize they're not the right character for your story and qualify themselves out without you spending time realizing too late it was a bad referral. And some people are so afraid to like get super granular with this part of the process. And all it does is open up the floodgates for tire kickers and allows a super specific type of people to be unsure. Like, I don't know what you're doing because every week the message is changing. And I, so I think that is a really important part. I'm actually going to write a book next year that, that I think is going to be about creating a message that matters. I and like because that, that, that cross platforms in everything, it cross platforms in how you present yourself at a BNI, it cross platforms how you present yourself at associations, what your messaging, what your website, what your qualification, what your the person who answers the phone, what are they asking? It all has to come back to that message about who you are, what you do, and what you're looking for. And so many people are so afraid to, to miss a good opportunity, they'll take on five bad ones. And that's just so time consuming and labor is a big issue, right? And I'm really big on capitalizing on the man hours you have access to, Well, you can't do that with the wrong types of projects. And you can't do that if you're a roofing gutters guy that, hey, we're gonna do fences this week because I got an opportunity to make five grand. That dilutes your brand so badly, it is not worth the amount of money you're making doing. And I feel really strongly about that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I don't think I expected you to go that route. I don't know. I didn't have anything in mind, but I mean, <laughs> that's, I think it's really valid because a lot of people, they end up just kind of spreading it out and they go, oh, yeah, that could be an interesting project or, oh, that's because it's the opportunity in front of them. So, well, yeah. And, and like you said, you, you have a lot of design build firms, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I've seen guys, well, we'll take on that countertop replacement because it's a quick seven grand. Nothing ever goes right when you do that. Totally. It's never a quick seven grand. Because you're not putting the right attention on it. Your subs aren't putting the right attention on it. And the client's expecting the real you. Well, there, there's no way you can give that to a $7,000 countertop replacement if you're chasing six-figure projects. And it's Absolutely. stupid. It makes no sense. Yeah. And I would say, so like my, my curriculum, my process is built into four main categories. Identify, target, qualify, and acquire. And I always start with identifying. Identifying what an ideal client and an ideal project looks like for you so we can create that message. Because every decision in the targeting, every decision in the qualifying and how you acquire those people all comes down to that avatar or that description of what an ideal client and project looks like. And if you don't know the answer to that, you don't know how to qualify people correctly. And you're driving two hours for a $500 job because you didn't ask enough questions over the phone. And that's where people start to spin their wheels and lose money and lose opportunities. And it's just, man, I hate seeing it. I absolutely hate seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. And and Mike, I've got one last segment of the show coming up, but before we get to that, if people want to learn more about what you're up to, how you can help, you know, what's a good place to find you online or connect with you? So uh, the name of my business, I'm not sure we said earlier is WinRate Consulting, W-I-N-R-A-T-E Consulting. Uh, Instagram is probably the, the best content I put out or the most content I put out. Um, I also have two podcasts that I host and I hope to have you on. Uh, one day. So I have Remodeling the Carolinas is one that's more of an interview style where I bring on experts and the other one's Big Stud Sales. It's kind of funny, but it's a play on words. And, uh, you know, it's Big Stud Sales, Nailing Construction Selling. Um, nice. I love again that uh, cheesy line. So they love it, dude. I bought it. that domain for no reason two years ago. I said, <laughs> this is the name of the podcast. But that's more of a rant style where me and a co-host, he's a marketing guy. I'm a sales guy. We basically just talk about best practices and things to do. So at Winrate Consulting on Instagram and then Big Stud Sales and Remodeling the Carolina are the two podcasts I host. Cool, cool. And we'll make sure to add some links in the show notes to make it easy for people. But uh, yeah, let's move on to the fast five. 
So I'm going to hit you with five rapid fire questions and okay. uh, just say what comes to mind. So first one, uh, what's your favorite business book and why? I really like Unstoppable by Tim Grover. Um, it's more, I, I read like 50 books last year, so it's hard to narrow them down, but Unstoppable by Tim Grover was one of the best mindset books for a competitive style business owner that I've read. Awesome. Yeah. I, I think, uh, is that, was Relentless the same uh, or is, is he have a couple? Yeah, of I think it might be like both on the title. I think it was like okay. Relentless and Unstoppable. But yeah, Tim is, uh, man, he's an awesome dude. And uh, yeah, I, you got to be a competitor. If you're going to read that book, Relentless, <laughs> I might have said it wrong. It might be Relentless. But if you're not a competitor, it's going to be hard to understand that book and his mindset. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very cool. All right. Who is the most inspirational person in your life? Andy Frazella. Right on. I mean, I, I, the MFCEO, his, his world, he's probably been the person I bought into the most on a big picture. And then, yeah, I'd say, because I, I did 75 hard, if you know what that is. And uh, he, he hosts the MFCEO and just started the Real AF podcast. He's probably the person I pay attention to the most. Yeah, yeah. If you're not following him, uh, yeah, he's got amazing stuff, amazing stuff. The 75 hard, if you're listening, you know what 75 hard is. I did that this year with my wife, and it is it is a absolute life-changing experience. Very cool, yeah. Uh, all right, if you could have one superpower, what would that be? I would read minds. Read minds? Nice. Yeah, I'd, I would avoid <laughs> objections by understanding them ahead of time. Perfect. Yeah, I like it. I, I'm not sure it's always going to play in my favor, but reading minds is what I'd like to do. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, all right. Describe yourself in three words. Big stud sales. There you go. <laughs> nice. I like it. I'll take that. Three words. That's that was perfect. I yeah, I teed you up for that. Uh, yeah. All right. Last question is, if you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would that be? Don't be afraid to be transparent and vulnerable. I think it's the greatest sales tactic in the world. Awesome. I love it. Well, Mike, uh, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Mike. And again, like I said in the beginning, I think he brings some really fresh ideas to the sales conversation. And there were some great takeaways and strategies from this conversation. Again, I know you're on the go. So let's pull out a few takeaways. I had three big ones from today's conversation. The first one was I loved his approach to how to go into that first meeting on site with a homeowner. So those couple of easy steps that you can do right within the first few minutes, which is, hey, ask a question give a compliment, and then set the agenda and set the tone for the rest of that meeting. And that really puts you in a great spot. The person knows what to expect. You come off as confident, and he's really seen that as having a really positive impact on those initial meetings with the homeowner. The second takeaway was follow-up. And so if you follow Mike on Instagram, Winrate Consulting, um, he does a post, I think every single Friday, and it's centered around follow-up Friday. And he always has either a reminder, something helpful there. But I liked his example that over a two-year span, 42% of his sales, about $2 million in sales, came from follow-up. Him following up with prospects that had kind of disappeared, not gotten back to him. And his point was, hey, maybe some of those would have closed anyway, but he knows for sure many of them wouldn't. And follow-up is an extremely powerful way to increase your sales. It might take two, it might take 10 touches, but either way, if you could increase 
uh, your sales by, you know, 30, 40%. Um, that would be a huge lift and it's not super difficult. It does take a little bit of time to craft those emails or log those phone calls. Um, but again, if you could have that sort of a sales lift, it seems well worth it. And then the final takeaway, which I think was a great one and something that I still work on and don't have nailed a hundred percent of the time, which is leave every single meeting business conversation with defined next steps so that everybody knows what they're doing. They know what the deadlines are. Um, and I know whenever I end meetings that way, then uh, things always flow better after that. You know, everyone knows what they're doing. You don't have to check in as often and go, oh, where do we leave that meeting? You know, you've got clear next steps. Everyone knows what they are and stuff starts to get done. So again, those were my takeaways from today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one and we will see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio. Thanks again for listening, everybody. And as a quick reminder, text RADIO to 33777 for some free goodies as a thank you for listening to the show. And if you got some value from today's episode, I just ask that you leave us a quick review on iTunes. It really helps us spread the word and grow this awesome community of people who are working to improve their lives and their businesses. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio.